0: Hello, listener. Hope you're Android developer. My name is Arton Zinicelin, and you're listening to the Context a podcast, mostly about Android development. So today we have Hannes Dorfman as a host. Hey. Hi, guys. And Arthur Drumov as a guest. Hey, hey. Arthur. That was okay. <laughs> so basically, let me. Uh, introduce Arthur to you and I'll just leave you guys and you'll be able to discuss whatever you want without me interrupting you. So uh, Arthur is my co-worker. We work here at Juno by Get. <laughs> We've just renamed recently and uh, we work in Android Rider team. So we basically work on the application for the passengers in our service and our role here is basically mostly to work on the Android app itself, but we also participate in the development on some open source and closed source libraries here at Juno and other products like test runners and mainframer and all the stuff. This is mostly done by Arthur and me in cooperation, and that's that's basically it. And uh, regarding the topic of our discussion today. Arthur was the lead uh, team member who started migration to RxJava version two, and basically he has a lot of input to to talk about. So, without further ado, let's you guys start the conversation <laughs> and discuss the migration.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Arthur, could you uh, give us a, a brief overview of how the the Rider app uh, is architected and which components are uh, used so that we can better understand where you use RxJava and how you use RxJava and and so on.
2: Okay, sure, Monette. Uh, we'll to hear about it, hear about it. Uh, so the June Rider application uh, uh, was written in Kotlin from the start. So it was selected like, uh, I guess, uh, two years ago or roughly like that. So it's so, so it's 100% Kotlin and we had some rough paths with it. Uh, because we started using early access preview of the version 1.1, mm-hmm. so it was pretty adventurous. And uh, we started using React from the start as well. So our application is, uh, as we call it, written in reactive Kotlin manner. Uh, mostly what, everything what we do, uh, from the business logic to UI, uh, is written hundred percent Kotlin. Kotlin, as I said, and uh, also reactive-based, so we are heavily invested in RxJava. Um, so that's basically it. Uh, for UI, we use MVVM, and it's, uh, all those components also tie reactively, and we use RxJava there as well. So I can say that mostly like 90% of our code is Rx-based and 100% is cotton-based, so that's about it.
1: Oh, nice. And also the interaction with the Android uh, components like uh, GPS location or databases and so on is also done through RxJava or goes through the reactive um, notifications provided by RxJava.
2: Oh, yeah, of course, sure. Uh, We use it mostly everywhere, but we don't have any database at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, We rely on our uh, backend communication because our application is mostly real-time. Oh, yeah, makes sense, Uh, Uh, we receive data and just display it and send it uh, and we don't store anything in particular uh, so now that the basis is for us uh, and everything like that yep uh, we are engineered everything to be react as, as reactive as possible uh, for example our, we recently really our file logger uh, the place the component we write logs mm-hmm. to the file system and send them to backend later to be fully reactive, it was so so reactive. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, every other component that is specific for us, like GPS location, uh, customer location, and uh, all related communications with Bekent are fully reactive as well, of course. Mm-hmm.
1: And have you also used Rx Kotlin or basically just Rx Java as a library?
2: Uh, we use uh, Rex Java mostly, uh, and uh, we considered Rex Kotlin at some point, uh, recently, pretty recently, actually. But we found out that uh, mostly what it does, we already have, uh, because Rex Kotlin, as I see it, is just uh, extensions mm-hmm. uh, that provide some value from the Kotlin perspective, just easy to use, and we found out that we already have it as well. Uh, so maybe we will. Uh, Migrated at some point, but for now we are sticking to our implementation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I also found very little reason to use Rx Kotlin over just Rx Java in our Kotlin project, but yeah. Um, yep. Okay, so what was actually the motivation behind um, migrating and was it complicated to convince stakeholders that you need to? To, con, uh, to convert or to migrate to to Java too. Or I think my boss, if I, if I would go to my boss and say, hey, we have this RxJava architecture and everything works quite well, but I need some time to upgrade the libraries and probably I have to touch every source file <laughs> because there, there were some classes and imports that has been changed. Um, I, I'm not sure if my boss would be happy with me and say, okay, let's do that. That sounds super great. But probably he would start saying like, um, why would we do that? Isn't it working as, as it is now? And so what was basically the motivation and how hard was it to convince uh, the stakeholders to, to do that?
2: Well, the great thing about Juno uh, is that we are mostly technology driven company. So from the start, uh, the motivation was to uh, introduce and use uh, the most advanced technologies we have. Uh, so, uh, if there is a talk about just some technical improvement, it is uh, mostly done eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there, it is not an issue for us, like from the working hours perspective, because uh, as we work, we, the first priority, of course, is features that our product team introduce. We implement that and uh, if there is time remaining we just uh, perform a technical debt just execute it uh, and try to get rid of it and uh, it was uh on our timeline for for a while
3: mm-hmm.
2: and basically at some point we decided that it's time to do that we have some time uh, and uh, uh like actually it was item input at some point because uh, he watches the project pretty closely, mm-hmm. and I mean Eric Java, of course. Uh, so when uh, the bug reports, uh, more critical bug reports to Eric Java stopped, uh, he he just said, "Okay, let's do it. We can do it at this point." Uh, so we start migrating, and that's basically the story. It wasn't uh, any hard decision from product perspective because it is a new technology. It improves uh, our lives developers. And eventually we had to do it because uh, RxJava 1 the first version uh, already has some timeline to the end so it was really, really good time to start it.
1: Yeah, but I, at the same time at least I consider Java 1 as pretty stable and I wouldn't mind to stick with a version that is not longer let's say maintained if it's almost bug-free or like that. So was that ever an internal um, um, an internal discussion about that, saying, okay, we could also stick a little bit longer with Java V1? I think it's also maintained until 2018 or something like that.
2: Well, yes, yeah, that's a good point, of course, uh, but uh, I can say that there is a trade-off as well because if nobody starts to use the second version mm-hmm. or I guess some hypothetical library new version like retrofit two was released at some point and nobody migrated to it as well. At the same day it it went out because of the reason you said, uh, if nobody starts to use the new version, nobody will discover issues mm-hmm. and nobody will recognize them. And will just delay the transition. Uh, So I guess your point is completely valid Uh, for some projects, uh, for most of the projects, I I can say. It's a pretty great reason, but for us, uh, it's also a great reason to uh, push forward Mm -hmm. and just uh, work into ourselves. Uh, Actually, we have this policy in our team that we update our dependencies as soon as possible. Oh, nice. we are using the... Most JSON bug fixes and releases and sometimes actually we found some weird bugs and we report some upstream and they get fixed. For example, with Scotland, uh, we have multiple bug reports just recently this week Mm -hmm. on different parts regarding compilation uh, and IDE and whatnot. Okay. And as I was said, uh, we used uh, the 1.1 version. Uh, when it was early access preview, and we found some interesting stuff as well, we reported it mm-hmm. and provided feedback. So the final version was actually <laughs> pretty stable mm-hmm. for everyone, not just us.
1: Yeah,
3: correct.
2: So it's like this: insane. There is trade-off in every situation, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: And when did you start migrating to version two? And how long does it take, or did it take? Are you, are you already done with, with the migration or are you still migrating?
2: Well, we're still migrating, actually. Uh, we have like 40% of our code base migrated over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started it, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, two months ago, uh, something like that. Uh, and, uh, yep, I just counted it recently and it was like forty percent of the code base. And just to uh, give you some picture... Uh, I just counted the size of the code base recently. And uh, roughly said, it is uh, 37,000 lines of Kotlin code and uh, 33,000 lines of Kotlin unit tests. Mm. So something like that. Nice. So we, we are doing it uh, step by step. Uh, I actually write some specification for the team how to proceed on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most uh, sense made to me uh, was to start with isolated components, if possible, and just uh, introduce the library, all dependencies that ne- are needed, and start uh, with the uh, components that is most isolated from the rest of the location. For our application, it was the help module. Uh, we started from it because it is uh, pretty independent in our code database. And it doesn't affect the core experience to request a ride. It provides just uh, some uh, helpful role and, uh, and provides some resources for riders. So we started from that. Uh, the first step was uh, to just uh, introduce dependencies. Uh, it was actually pretty good. Uh, I would say it was actually great because I don't know if it was uh, just some consequence or... or some actions by Jack Wharton, but he wrote uh, some blog post some time ago about uh, library version migrations, and he advised to change a dependency uh, path so users can uh, include both versions in the project in parallel and change the package name as well. Mm -hmm. And you might already saw that with Retrofit and OKHttp, for example, where okhtp is now is okhtp3 I guess the package name is mm-hmm. yeah. it was uh, okhtp2 or t p just is what it said. Uh, but the point is you can uh, include both dependencies in parallel and uh, you don't have this situation where you stand in this decision and you just decide mm, am I going to keep just Rix Java one or include Rix Java 2 and it will be I have to just change the whole project. Uh, with uh, all RexJava dependencies, it went the best way possible because almost all dependencies we have followed this path. And you can include RexJava 1 and RexJava 2 in parallel, as well as some dependencies like RexBinding and RexRelay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the single dependency we encountered issues with which was uh, replaying share uh, because. Right. Uh, well, it stayed the same dependency and changed the package name. Ah, okay. So basically, you cannot include both versions. We had to repackage it. Mm-hmm. And I reported the issue to Jake, and basically he said that it's so small, I just expected that everyone just included mm-hmm. for the migration. So we did that. We just uh, introduced a new model, re share, just copied all the code, and made sure that are passed, tests uh, are parsing, uh, library tests, and now of course.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, So we basically have all dependencies in parallel, and it's really helpful. And I just, uh, you know, regret a little bit that I've made it at this point and not earlier, because we could start new features development in a new Java version, Mm -hmm. and it just uh, wouldn't hurt at all, because you just can... Introduce a new feature in your library version, and you will do it from scratch so of course, as we all know, the migration is always harder than just writing from scratch. yeah
1: yeah I have a following question to that um, Yep. if you or how where you do only one or how many people have worked on the on the migration?
2: Well, I started it uh, and there was people just uh, getting involved more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I suggested to the team, we write the new features in new version, mm-hmm. using new version, and the existing uh, can be converted in the free time, I guess, or the time that is spent mm-hmm. on reducing technical debt. So it was basically me and the other team is following.
1: And, and how did you manage to, let's say, uh, maintaining the... the the old code base uh, and migrating at the same time I've, I think you have you have um, yeah branched create a new branch a git branch and then started to 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 yeah change the classes and so on to RxJava version 2 but what if in the meantime someone had to do some bug fixing on the same component that you were al- already touching so at the end you probably get much conflicts but how, was there a strategy or, or a best practice you can recommend?
2: Well, regarding the parallel development, we just uh, do pull requests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Git manages it for us, I guess. So I, if I migrate a component, another person does some work in it. Uh, well, who's the last resolves the conflict? Because uh, who's, who modified code the last, he knows it better. Okay. And I just can, can assist with that. Or any other person, of course, in other teams. Uh, so that's basically it. So, uh, but it, it uh, doesn't take that much time if you do it incrementally. Because uh, my ho- my goal wasn't just hey, there is an application we have, and thousand lines of code, and I just want to convert all of it. I just uh, I'm the greatest step by step, and uh, I wrote a spec about it in our to our team. Uh, the most, in, I guess the most important thing to consider is to touch the component that is the least involved in all application. So uh, let me give you an example. Uh, for example, uh, if you have some service layer or business logic on the top of your hierarchy, so there is your feed, network interfaces, and so on and so on, your decisions regarding business logic, and on the bottom is uh, your user interface components. Uh, you can do whatever architecture you want, MVP, MVVM, doesn't really matter. And what matters is, uh, is uh, you touch the most bottom part of this thing first. Because uh, if you modify, for example, the business logic, all consumers must migrate to uh, new code. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and if, you, and if you just uh, modify the UI, uh, you can consume the data as it is, uh, it was before and the UI, uh, works independently.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Also, I, I, I think I have started otherwise, but I think, yeah, you are right. It, it makes, well, my my idea would be that I could start in the in the business logic. I don't know doing something like the the GPS location uh, manager provider, whatever it is it called, and migrate that internally to RxJava two, and then yeah, then still provide the RxJava one um, compatibility layer or something like that to the to the rest of the application. But I think you are right that then it may have some some more more work to do afterwards when I'm done. Yeah, I think I think you are you have a better strategy to do it from, from the UI downwards.
2: There is an alternative, of course, uh, if you have some sort of service, like JS provider service or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You can provide the same interface in RxJava one and just internally move everything to RxJava two. Mm-hmm. So it's that's possible as well. Uh, There is a library uh, called Vertix Java Interop that helps a lot with this. Uh, It just allows you to convert, uh, let's say, observables from the second version to observables from the first version, and vice versa. And it can do it for other types, like singles, completables, and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that can be achieved in our team, as we are using Kotlin. We've made uh, some extensions for that purpose, mm-hmm. so basically it's called like to observable one to observable 2 so we can switch more easily, mm-hmm. because by default you must call Eric's interrupt static method, and it seems kind of long, uh, especially if you have some chain uh, of observables, and you must wrap all of it, and sometimes it's not named, so it can be messy. So that's basically it. It helps a lot uh, with migration because uh, we have some common logic, I would say, uh, between uh, services on the network level. And uh, if I migrate to one service and I use that common logic, I don't want to rewrite it all all because I must rewrite all the service logic as well uh, to the second version. Uh, So interrupt helps with that. I just convert it to the RXJava too observable and we are done with that. So
1: yeah, it's very hard. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, we will put a link to the show note to this RX interop library. Um okay, so let's dive a little bit deeper into the changes between uh, version one and version two of RxJava. So what what were the the most significant differences for, for you or the most challenging parts you have faced while make my grading regarding the API or library changes itself of version 2?
2: Uh, well, I, I I would say uh, the API uh, from the usage standpoint, at least, is mostly the same. Uh, you won't have uh, to, I don't know, if you have switch map, it doesn't call cool, like switch map, new generation map, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, it just stays the same from the API standpoint.
1: So it was also... Uh, of course, so it was also easy for the coworkers to pick up with this new version 2 so so you don't have to be a version 2 expert to use version 2 so if you are familiar with version 1 you, it's it's almost an easy going to to migrate or to to change the api while working on it
2: yeah i guess so uh, from the api standpoint if everything stays the same people's uh, all terms are mostly the same at least for observable um, it is uh, always better to start with. Of course, there are some changes. For example, uh, the regular subscription and composite subscription for observables uh, becomes disposable and composite disposable. Uh, there is only one action. It was called action zero and now it's just action. And uh, all others actions were renamed to consumers. Uh, and it bugs me. <laughs> one naming. Uh, it actually uh, was picked from Java 8, I guess, uh, all these functions and consumers, and there is a consumer, big consumer, consumer 3, consumer 4, consumer 5. Mm. It doesn't make any sense to me, but uh, I guess we have to live like that. Uh, there is uh, some operators' uh, improvements in RxJava 2. Uh, I would say that are, they were mostly, I don't know how to say it, just balanced and uh, become more even uh, between types. For example, uh, uh, there was in Rijio one single zip that would that would not accept an array, and now it has uh, this method, as well as it has for observable zip operator. And there was uh, there is some uh, I guess uh, some kind of exchange of types that. Uh, is done a little bit better. For example, if you have an observable and you just uh, call an operator first, it will return you a single. Yeah. Already. So that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And there is, so, of, of course, the maybe type. And I would say uh, it actually fought us, forced uh, us uh, to use these types better uh, because uh, it just makes more sense to use them at this point. Because you haven't, you don't have to convert them manually to single, for example. Yeah. You just return to maybe or single and you just know how to handle
1: better. Were you able to automate those changes like the changing the imports and I don't know, maybe from what was it called? Composite subscription and what is it called in, in RxJava 2? Composite, composite disposable. Ah, composite disposable, disposable right. Were you able to automate that? That something uh, somehow, for instance, with uh, find and replace, or find with replace in path, or was it really a manually step over all files and do it manually?
2: Well, uh, there is room for automation, of course, of this. Uh, but I just prefer to do it manually to make sure that uh, everything is in place as it was before. But yeah, it can be done. Uh, for example, if uh, You had a publish relay or just a relay, and you want to call on it. Now it calls accept, because uh, relays are now both consumer and observable. Uh, You have to change from subscription to disposable, of course. So, yeah, it's possible to automate, but I just don't Mm -hmm. prefer to do things this
1: way. Okay. Um, I think one of the most important changes with RxJava were that they have removed nullability. Um, or, or now it's not allowed anymore to have null values. For instance, in a, you can't emit a null value for an observable. Have you had null values before? And how do you deal now with null values in, in your ixJava version 2 chain?
2: Yeah, that's a major pain point. Some people just don't want to even accept it. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't even make sense to them. The library forces you to not use nulls. Um I guess it's pretty reasonable, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it I just s- can make uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, our situation is uh, pretty interesting. Our other team, the driver team, that makes application for drivers, mm-hmm. uh, as I was told, they don't use Nulls at all in streams, and they haven't migrated to at all at this point.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it will be an easier road for them. Uh, but they haven't, they, but they decided it from the start. They just uh, didn't want to push NULS as events to the stream. So they, that was the initial decision. Uh, we have Nulls in streams, actually. Uh, and we try to migrate to sealed classes in Kotlin, mm-hmm. if possible, of course. Uh, for example, if we have just some uh, sealed class already passed on, and if there is no value, that was null, we just state another, I guess, state to sealed class, and we just work with it. And we, in other, for other cases, we introduced our optional type. Mm-hmm. It was actually a multiple iterations process because everyone has uh, its view on it. But uh, for now we uh, sticked just to a very simple optional that basically is a sealed class that has uh, two variation classes is some and none. Mm-hmm. And some of course has value and none doesn't have anything. Oh, I see. Uh, and, and we have uh, two methods. Uh, first one is just extension method for any type, and it allows you uh, to make optional. Just name name is uh, to optional, and the other one that allows you uh, to convert optional to null. So it's to null. Uh, the reason we made that uh, and uh, uh, we decided to go with it because Kotlin already has uh, null, no, I guess checking and uh, rating facilities. So it has help operator and, of course, helpful let operator that can help you with dealing with nouns. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, when we are entering the active world, we try to convert to optional or we sit a sealed class if it makes any sense. And we are exiting, we can convert to noun and operate on the cultural level. So it uh, makes the experience more native to the language
1: following question on that since kotlin also have this nullability safety with the question mark do you f- how do you feel about it then you have to wrap it in an optional uh, in RxJava java version 2 because you could also use in kotlin since you have already the, the, the this null safety just a question mark um what is your opinion on that
2: well i guess as i said uh, it it is kind of questionable just a matter of opinion uh, I don't know if it was reasonable enough to be forwarded by the library, but they decided to go with it, so I guess we just have to live with it. Uh, As we discussed, we are iOS team at some point, and uh, when we designed our optional, we took a look, uh, take a look uh, at the Swift implementation. And the interesting thing is, uh, is if I understand correctly, uh, they don't have nulls properly. Basically, when you... Place a question mark, it creates an optional, uh, a num. <laughs> oh. uh, in internally. So it doesn't have nums as it is from the, I guess, object standpoint. Maybe there uh, they are some on, on the deeper level, but uh, the developer doesn't see it,
1: actually. Yes.
3: Yeah, so
2: it, it is, it is pre- pretty like meta language <laughs> object generation, I guess. But we don't have our API for that in Portland, and we have to live with the legacy of Java. Mm-hmm. And we, it's uh, bytecode manipulation, I guess. So there, uh, I think there was a reason behind it. Uh, yeah, also so, S-
1: yeah, also Swift has really first, uh, first class, first citizen support for enum types. So enum in Swift is not... Not exactly what you expect from Java. I mean, you can also define enums like you would do in Java with constants, but enum is really a type you can extend from. You can have multiple constructors uh, for each enum and so on. So that's a a difference from, from Swift to Java or Kotlin. And probably, as you have mentioned, sealed class is something that comes a little bit closer to enum and Swift.
2: Yeah, they're very close.
1: Yeah. Okay, another big change which um is great from from internal uh, from from internal standoff uh, point of view. Uh, uh, they have introduced this flowable type and observable type. And the reason was that observable now don't support back pressure anymore and flowable support back pressure. And the argument there was that in version one, the, the back pressure API or internal handling of back pressure was introduced very late in the version one design process of RxJava. And so now with version two, they tried to fix it. So or to, not to fix, but to provide a better API and a better understanding for both consumer and internally for the API to deal with it more in a more clean way. Um, so my question. First could you briefly explain what back pressure actually is to our listeners if if they are don't familiar with back pressure at all? And the second question, how do you decide while when migrating from Alex Java 1 to Alex Java 2 if you need back pressure at all and if you should use flowable or observable or is there some kind of measuring or have you done some measuring to 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 know if you could run in back pressures? What is your strategy on that? Or was that strategy on that?
2: Okay. Uh, so I am um, maybe a little bit <laughs> wrong, but uh, the uh, most easy explanation of back pressure is for me was uh, situation where the consumer uh, cannot consume all the events that are passing by as an uh, upstream observer. Mm-hmm. So, for, for example, uh, if you. Uh, okay, let's mention the file logger, for example, or any logger. Uh, From one side, you have uh, a stream of log entries, and you can receive them, uh, a lot of them, I
3: guess. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Because every part of the application probably logs something. And on the other other part, uh, we are writing it to the file. So there is some durability in that, because uh, events are passing in very quickly, and uh, you cannot uh, write the file at this speed. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it is uh, an I/O resource, and you have uh, some limitations on that, just from the physics standpoint, actually, uh, you can't write it. Yes. So
1: the problem is, um, you you are, you get a new event emitted while you are still writing to the disk, for instance, in your yeah. case. Yes. Okay.
2: Uh, and RxJava Java, the most, uh, um, I guess the most popular operator that will produce missing pressure expression is actually observe one. Um, because it has a buffer mm-hmm. uh, of ev- events, and if uh, in our logger, example, if there is a lot of log events and it overflows the buffer, when uh, we are trying writing to the file, uh, synchronously uh, will overflow and throw you an exception. The change in uh, RxJava, uh 2, the second version, uh, is that Observable actually has an unbounded buffer. Uh, on observe on operator, for example. Uh, so, what happens if you have a lot of local entries, they're just uh, passing in, passing in, passing in, and uh, your buffer is expanding. And at some point, you just have a memory exception, just out of memory exception. For most cases, uh, it will work fine, I guess. Uh, for, for example, for UI, uh, because uh, there is not a lot of events you are expecting uh, most of the time, so it will work fine and you will not encounter that uh, so but you should be aware of that and, and just limit the stream of events uh, if it's possible, like filtering or just use a basic distinctness of change it will it will happen mm-hmm. uh, so the thing is with uh, flowable and observable uh, as uh, it is described, uh, you probably will be fine using observable dealing with your user interfaces and flowable is more suitable in situations like described when you have some uh, resource that just blocks to form six honestly and uh, you have some time to wait for it to execute. So when you know that there is a situation like that, uh, just use flowable. And, for example, for the file logger, it makes sense to use volatile, And uh, it will also make sense to use for some uh, examples like just some message streaming. For example, you are opening a WebSocket or anything. You're just receiving or seeing messages from the backend or whatever. For some reason, you can just not consume them at the trade, And at that point, it makes sense to use volatile as well, because uh, you are forced to provide a back pressure strategy when you create a form. Uh, actually, there is some strategy We uh, t- it's named uh, Missing uh, but you are forced to apply well, you are not forced to apply the separator, but uh, you should uh, consider that an apply operator like on backpressure latest or on the pressure buffer, whatever suits you better uh, later dealing with that form. So that's it. We are not actually using Flowables that much in our project. And uh, we're planning to use it in situations like I explained. But uh, most of the time, if you're dealing with just plain recent phases, uh it's actually just one shot. Probably you will be better just using single. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, and if you have some retry strategy on replaying the response that you are better using, so... Mm -hmm. So, um, the thing I like about Java 2 is uh, that there is all these types, and uh, it actually uh, plays along with you and helps you to decide which type is better. Uh, But of course, you as a developer are forced to do the decision, because you know your system better, and Java will not solve all your problems magically. Uh, But you have all instruments uh, to deal with it.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I also think that the single completable type, well, although they were already introduced in version one, I don't know one dot two or recently they have become or, uh, promoted from experimental to stable API. I think in RxJava it's it's way much easier to to understand how your code works if you if you have if, if you use single uh, prob- uh single completable maybe types. Um, in your observable chain, it makes it much, much simpler to reason about, I think. Um,
2: well, well, yeah, actually, if I may. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was actually pretty opposed at some point about all these types, and I just thought, hey, there is an observable, and I can do whatever I want with it. So why the hell <laughs> would I want a single <laughs> or completable? Because it does all the same things. Uh, but we are using a type of languages uh, with Android developers, at least, so Kotlin is a type language Java is a type language and we uh, maybe should use it because it helps you on the compilation level and just uh, provides you a better picture of your project uh, what are you using and how it will, be, how it will behave mm-hmm. so it's really really helpful I just encourage everyone to take a look at that and just see the strategy because as uh, I said I was pretty much opposed to that but uh, it's really great thing. Because observable uh, and using observable and not single or completable. It just is a little, little window that uh, allows you to escape this type system uh, on the meta level, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you are still receiving the data, but you don't know the
3: exact behavior. And uh, with
2: other types, you
1: do know better about it. Okay. Regarding flowable and observable, they also interrupt pretty nicely, I assume. So you yep. can convert yep. the flowable to an observable as you go, or any 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 issue with that? Or
2: Yeah, uh, of course, you can convert it. But uh, if I remember correctly, if you're converting, for example, an observable to flowable, you are forced to uh, set a book pressure strategy. Mm-hmm. So it's just a safe net mm-hmm. for developers. Uh, yeah. Uh, and as I said before, uh, the this uh, type exchange in RX Java Two, just from my standpoint at least, it just took a very step forward. Mm-hmm. So you can use it and it will work very
1: Okay, so if I'm a developer coming from RX Java One and I'm not sure whether or not I run into back pressure, so I decide to migrate my app to RX Java Two, but I decide to use flowable types all over the place because I'm not sure whether or not I will face back pressure issue. Is that a valid strategy from your point of view or should I test it or, or is there a way to to figure out whether or not I could run in, in, in back pressure issue? And the following question, is flowable internally um, more heavyweighted regarding performance and memory consumption than an, a straightforward observable?
2: Yep, you mostly <laughs> answered that question yourself, but, uh yeah, the flowable are mostly a uh, little bit heavyweight compared to observable, uh, because it has all these uh, checks internally, regarding pressure and whatnot. It is actually following the reactive stream specification, and other types uh, do not follow it. So, yeah, it is a little bit more heavyweight. But, of course, you can do it. You can use it everywhere, if you really want to. Uh, if you know what are you are doing, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, as I said, uh, just consider it uh, from the logic standpoint. And regarding uh, to testing uh, when you will encounter big and when you do not, I don't know. Uh, I think that there is no, like, silver lighting will tell you, hmm, this, or just some ADE analysis that will tell you there might be a big pressure. Mm-hmm. This will be really cool, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if um, the ID will tell set. that. But it does not at this point, uh, so you're mostly on your own on this. And the only proper way to test it is eh? <laughs> just to move it to production and see for yourself. But, uh, uh, yeah. I guess uh, it is not really that set up set of automated or, or provided. But there are best practices uh, that are placed on the wiki page that describes RIGI Java 2. Basically, it says uh, to use observable for UI uh, and uh, situations where you know the number of emitted events, mm-hmm. at least closely. Uh, and it is, uh, I don't know, it was probably less than 10,000 items oh. or, or 1,000, I don't know correctly. Mm-hmm. Just take, take a look at that. And for blocking operations like network uh, or I.O., file I.O., just use flowable. It will be safer bet.
1: Okay. Yeah, we will add a link to the show notes. Actually, you're right. The wiki already gives some kind of good practices when to prefer observable, overflowable, and vice versa. Um, yeah. I,
2: uh, I must say that uh, this release was prepared really great. Uh, basically all you have to do is just to read the one wiki page it's pretty long i should not you about it um, it will take some time but uh, it describes uh, most of the style that was changed
1: yeah okay great so is there anything else we have forgot to discuss or any any other ideas strategies pain points you want to share with us while we while migrating for two version two
2: well, to summarize, uh, I advise just to include all these dependencies in parallel. You can do it. Uh, Java 2 regards really, really well. Uh, I cannot tell you the exact number, uh, what uh, uh, amount of methods we applied to application, so it expanded our release APK. But it wasn't that uh, large as we expected. Uh, so we are still don't use text in production. Uh, it's just uh, one text file. So it was pretty fun. Uh, uh, so it's pretty safe to use it this way. Uh, the second point uh, is uh, to start with the least uh, dependent component of the application and migrate it. And all tests, of course. Because if you don't have tests, please don't migrate anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because if you don't have tests, you don't actually know how to check it, but you certainly can. Uh, The sound point is just uh, migrate it uh, incrementally. Don't try to migrate it all at once because it is probably impossible if you don't have a very small application. It will be pretty painful and you will encounter some issues Uh, just because uh, behavior mostly stays the same, but uh, sometimes uh, some test issues will uh, be there, that's the main strategy I would advise. Uh, the issues we encountered, uh, mostly, they all were solved by the time we applied the RIGS 2. Uh, so one uh, issue that is uh, probably is quite dangerous for everyone is uh, how RIGS Java 2 handles exceptions. And for example, if you have a unit test, and uh, you have some exception happening uh, in your stream. It will pass your test as correct. Uh, the reason uh, it behaves this way is be- because uh, RxJava 2 passes all exceptions to uncaught exception handler, And on GVM it just prints a stack trace, stack trace, and that's it. So when you're running on device or emulator or whatever, uh, it will crash because exception uh, handler on Android will crash application if there is some exception. But in JVM, uh, if you run your unit test, it will just pass it oh. as valid. Uh, so uh, actually, we discussed it uh, and opened an issue in it on uh, uh, Redis Java two mm-hmm. Artem gave some input, but uh, if I remember correctly, it was pointed by David that. Uh, Basically, it is how it's done by reactive stream specification. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you don't throw any exceptions uh, and just don't drop stream. Mm -hmm. Uh, So be advised of that. Uh, I guess uh, the official suggestion by David was, uh, and David David is a maintainer of Linux Java, if you don't know, was to just uh, extend your test runner. And uh, set your own uh, quote, exception handler and fail test uh, if there is something wrong. So that's pretty dangerous point.
1: Yeah, we will add a link to the show notes too. I think it's a really interesting conversation. You better grab some popcorn and <laughs> read through this. Very, very interesting conversation and discussion about this issue. Yeah.
2: Uh, and for example, last point regarding error handling. Uh, it's pretty dangerous as well if you don't know about it. It is on the wiki page we mentioned earlier. Um, but uh, if uh, you have an observable and subscribe to it, and it uh, throws an error some point, and at this point of time you've already unsubscribed for it, it will uh, produce this error still. So uh, in uh, the first Java version it was just uh, passed through and just ignored, and this time um, it will actually produce it. Um, so it's pretty dangerous as well. Uh, there there is a way to handle this. There is an error handler uh, for this. You can set uh, using Java, uh so you can handle it as well. But please be advised.
1: Okay. Yeah, good to know. Okay. I think, oh, I, I do have a following question for Artem, so probably we should, Artem, um, come back to the... To the show, <laughs> if you don't know, Artem is, is uh, or if you haven't known before, Artem is also a big contributor to Alex Java. So probably I can ask him now one or two questions regarding Alex Java two and Alex Java three. <laughs> so probably we will make migrate anyway to Alex Java three. So Artem, are you are you ready for my questions?
2: Actually, he's not here.
1: Oh, he's not here anymore. <laughs>
2: Okay. he's listening. But I can just add a few points about RxJava Java Three. Yeah, sure, there was go ahead. Job. So it was a so joke about it when I started migrated to RxJava Java Two. That's, it's already deprecated, and we must have must migrate to RxJava Three. The so main reasoning behind RxJava Java Three at this point, as you see, is to split uh, types uh, into uh, separate dependencies. Mm-hmm. Because uh, FlowBall uh, implements Reactive stream specification, other types are just,
3: uh,
2: I would say, piggyback uh, on the RxJava train. Uh, so they are there, and uh, we all use them and love them. Uh, they are not up to specification. So RxJava 3 is just uh, splitting all these types. Mm-hmm. So at this point, is that, uh, it's a uh, very early preview this po- at this point on the GitHub page. But mostly that,
1: that's it. Yeah, as you has already said, David, the, the core maintainer and developer of X Java, um, has already started to give some to build some preview um, kind of library for X Java three or how it could look like, and we will also add a show notes to that too. Okay, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, as always, you, you can you can find us and ask us question on on GitHub, which we use as our website, and we use the GitHub issue tracker for discussion after the show um, yeah And thank you Otto, very much for, for your insights and for joining us today thanks for having me okay I'm stopping the recording now
2: okay I'll try to find out